Hello everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Aptitude, the podcast where we discuss the book Apt Pupil by Stephen King. And uh, I believe where we left off, uh, Todd had just killed a bird uh, because of his frustrations, because he's feeling cornered, because, well, he's failing all of his classes, and uh, he doesn't want to get found out that he pretty much stalked a Nazi and also lied constantly to his parents and his school. And, um, you know, that is quite a predicament to be in. I believe where uh, I picked up the book, DeSander went to the pound and was uh, thinking of picking up a dog. Uh, you see, apparently because, you know, he's an old man and then he's, you know, particularly lonely and that, um... Back in Germany, he had a he had a, a big uh, golden retriever. That doesn't sound right. Uh, he had some large dog. Uh, I can't remember the name, but um, yeah, he was quite fond of it, and he decided to go to the pound to uh, get another dog to uh, keep him company in those lonely hours. And you know, he he talked with uh, with the caretaker inside the pound. And how uh, apparently, if uh, no one takes them in six weeks, six months, or, I, I, I don't remember the specific amount of time, but if no one takes them, then they get put down, which is unfortunate. And DeSander is obviously disheartened by this and decides to take a dog for non malicious reasons. And uh, I think at some point, even the, the person working at the pound started realizing that something was off, but just for a second. Uh, it mentioned that. Uh, for some reason, there was a weird air of coldness surrounding the sander, which is understandable because uh, his true intentions, uh, even though he's very good at hiding them, you know, they show up. They still bubble up in the surface at some points, which we know what he's going to do with said dog because of what he did with the cat. So that's not good. <laughs> Uh, after the scene with the pound, I believe we cut back to Todd, who is, um, working... No, 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 he's not working. He is waiting on the results of his algebra test. And he was inter-monologuing about how this was the first test that he had where things didn't look like Greek letters or basically symbols he didn't understand. He had some grasp, but probably not to the extent he probably used to have with other uh, other classes before he got raveled up in this mess and uh, the, the the grade sheet came back and then he flipped it over and he was relieved to find out that he didn't fail but he got a C plus minus I forgot which one but he was close it's not great but it was a vast improvement to the failing grades he was getting before that the teacher even noted that he's glad to see that he's starting to get the material more. Which of course is thanks to DeSander's uh, intricate ways of teaching him. Uh, basically, he just stays there for as long as he possibly can and studies under the uh, supervision of DeSander, which being supervised by a super racist SS Nazi to do math, that's um, it's a motivator, I guess. Somewhat. Uh, then we cut to um, a scene with 
his father and his mother, who is discussing Todd and how specifically the mother is more worried about Todd. And the the Todd the Todd the father of Todd seems like he he cares, but not as much as the mom because. The mom started talking, and the dad seemed like he just wanted to go to sleep, or he just didn't really think there was that big of a problem going on. Which, you know, I'm not surprised, because earlier in the book, we found out that he cheats on his wife with a secretary or something. Which is odd to me, because that's just, like, a detail that I don't know why Stephen King decided to put in there. I don't know if that, that was common for uh, husbands or something in this because because they them um, this family seems like the quote-unquote ideal american family you know white suburban neighborhood uh they're they're pretty well established um kid who has uh incredible grades and i'm assuming it seems like the job the um the dad's job is pretty pretty financially stable um, seems like they're living the American dream. But at the same time, it's odd to me that they mention that uh, the father is having, uh, is cheating on the wife with a secretary when they didn't really explore the plot point very much. It seems like an unnecessary detail to include, especially since later on they did uh, lie to Rubber Ed about them having uh, issues with um in the family specifically with their marriage uh only for uh todd to exclaim that that's not true even though to, to, to the sander who only lied about it to save his you know to save his uh reputation and everything but um it's odd that that they clarify that nothing of the sort is going on even though clearly it, it was earlier so i'm not sure and especially in this scene because more of uh, Todd's parents' humanity starts showing out. And um, it's kind of odd that they decided to give more development to these, especially to the father, give development to him, especially when they've noted earlier that he apparently cheats on his wife, which is... I don't know, it's an odd detail to add, and I feel like it was kind of odd to include. But anyways, uh, uncomfortable... Uh, conversation occurs where the mom is concerned for Todd because of his uh, the one instance of his grade slipping and noticing some uh, differences in Todd's behavior which you know as a, as a parent it's understandable she would pick up on that and uh, she's having some very valid concerns while the father just dismisses them because you know he's of age to become I I, I mean I I don't know, because <laughs> he keeps insinuating that his son is thinking sexual thoughts and that's the reason why, which I'm not sure why he's pushing that that's the only reason that could be happening. And I, at the time I was thinking, oh, you know, he's wrong, that's clearly not what's going on, but then later in the book some odd stuff happens that makes me think, okay, well, maybe he wasn't so far off in a sense, I guess. It, was, it all gets real uncomfortable real fast. So, the mom mentions that Todd is, uh, you know, he's he's obviously having bad dreams because he's sweating, his pillows are damp because of how, how much he's sweating and how stressed he is in his dreams. And she says that he's moaning in his dreams, which indicates that, you know, he's having unpleasant nightmares and that he's worried, which is understandable. 
And sage advice, wise man Todd's father just hears this and goes, Oh, I know what's happening. And then just, you know, alludes to he's possibly having wet dreams. I mean, okay. Sure, that's a possibility, but he's really pushing for the, um... Yeah, don't worry, he's just getting sexual desires is all, which is, I'm like, alright. Okay. Uh, that, alright. <laughs> it's like... I mean, sure, it's a possibility, but it's it's just so odd that he he's just insisting that that's the only possible reason why. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, whatever. And then he tells a story about how he got his like around 14, 15, and he's getting, and his son's getting his at around 13, 14, and her mom's, Todd's mom is like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, that's like a year earlier than you, and he's like, oh, all the kids are, um, are, are developing earlier these days, and it's like, alright, okay, quite uncomfortable, but okay, and then, and then, Basically, his dad tells a story about uh, his disagreements with his father, and um, I believe I don't remember this. I don't remember specifically what he said too much. Something about the left hand and the right hand, and how uh, I believe the the left or the right. I don't remember which one wants to help people, but or is the sympathetic side or something? While well, the right hand does work. And um, the left hand, no, it. Well, I don't know. The left hand would want to chop off the right hand if the left hand knew what the right hand was doing under the scenes, uh, which is interesting. I, I think it it kind of shows the du the duality of people and how, especially like in Todd, where on on first looking at Todd, you think that oh, he is a, of course, by the by, from the book, an apt pupil, where he is someone who can do no wrong because he constantly does the right thing and he constantly is improving and is and is incredibly smart and um but really underneath all that he is actually um a psychopath insane and um later on in the book we find out is very 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 messed up um yeah but anyways the dad and the mom continue talking and it's more of like you know, we raised him right, we, we did the best we could, you know, he's as good as he can be, which is odd to me that the dad is saying that we did the best we could as if their parenting role has stopped, that they've already done their job and Todd is already the best he can be, which probably um, contributes to the fact that Todd is so narcissistic, it's probably one of the reasons why, because he is already, quote unquote, um, apparently reached this stage of superiority at such an early age of I think at the time of the book he's like 13 he's already known DeSander for uh, a year or two I don't remember no he was 14 or so I think I believe he's 14 uh, yeah around around that time because he in in this stage of the book he goes from 13 to 14 and at the start of the book he was around 12 um, but yeah and then uh, the the father tells the story of how they met, where um, he was so scared of grades, of his grade slipping for his French class, so he got a tutor, and uh, that was his wife. So, and then, and then later on, the dad, you know, praises and reinforces the wife and how 
it it makes sense that she's worried and all this stuff um kind of showing more of his humanity which i have a pro which i don't really have a problem with except for the fact that it's odd that it's showing the father in such a good light after randomly saying that he cheats on his wife i'm like okay it just seems so normalized that he, he just casually cheats on his wife i just don't i'm just surprised about that it's all um so i believe afterwards todd does have a wet dream and oh wow this dude ooh. that was such an uncomfortable read <laughs> now i i like listening to the audiobook because i find that i I take in information better when I'm also doing things with my hands, like drawing or building something, let's say. And so I tend to prefer audiobooks because my mind can't necessarily comprehend sitting down and reading because I feel like I need to do something. I cannot stay in one position for that long. And let me tell you, I don't. I think this is the one time where I it was unfortunate that I was listening to an audiobook because hearing it out loud so uncomfortable not only did did the did apt pupil vividly describe this 14 year old's wet dream but the, the contents of the dream is beyond messed up uh i guess i'll explain it in the most pg rated way i can uh, so basically he's back, because most of his dreams and nightmares revolve around being in the internment camps. Uh, specifically doing horrible acts to people in the camps. And, um, he first describes how there is a, a beautiful girl, and apparently around the age of 16, I believe? Which, again, a detail, I don't know why they specified the age... And I don't know why they chose the age to be a minor. Oh, I don't know why. I I mean, I feel like I know why. And I don't like the reason that I'm thinking why they did that. <laughs> oh god, it's horrible. All right, and then so it's odd to it's it's also I I I, I was I had to completely stop what I was doing because I was flabbergasted by the description that was going on. And then all of a sudden, Todd mentions that the sander is also always also there, which I'm like... Man's having this kind of dream and the sander is still here, alright. Which, you know, is because of the mental effect the sander is having on Todd. Him being so manipulative now because he's turned the tables and now he's constantly in his brain. Uh... Oh god, and then, you know, apparently, Todd has done such a good job that the Fuhrer has given him his pr a prize where he can uh, do things to this person strapped to the table with a device that is electric. In the, like, like, uh, like a taser kind of way, I guess. Um... I was extremely surprised to hear um, <laughs> them using 
the the actual word for that quote unquote toy is so uncomfortable. But that I had to read it, so it was it. Oh god. So and then the act happened. The the dream rape that happened in his wet dream, which I can't believe I'm saying, makes me. I already didn't like Todd, and this made it even worse. <laughs> um. And then he described how much he liked it too, and um. Todd's got some issues, to say the least, I guess. Uh, okay, and then th th that scene's over, finally. Um, and then he wakes up, and of course he's... You know. <laughs> and then... I'm just surprised that the book decided to use all the words, including the, the slang terms for... The... You know, the... The, the thing that comes out when that happens. <laughs> it's like, oh! You're just laying all, all of it out there, all those five words that people use. Okay, all in succession. Okay, alright. And the weirdest thing is that that's the reason why Todd decides to kill DeSanter. <laughs> that he's like, oh my god. I, I mean, he, he also realizes how incredibly messed up that was. I don't know if it was for the same reasons that I find it messed up. I feel like he was just mad that he had a wet dream in general and blamed it on Dusander. I don't know if he was actually mad about the contents of the dream because it didn't seem like it. It seems like he was just mad he had it. So he decides to kill Dusander because of it. And he says it out loud. And then he sleeps fondly afterwards. So good for him. Good for Todd. Good, good, good for him, you know? And so, uh, he decides, I, I need to kill this guy, you know? Uh, but I believe before he does, there's a scene where he's, uh, at school before he's going to the Sanders' place and he's freaking out. Well, no, he's nervous. I don't know if nervous is the right word. He's... He is current... He, he is in a state where he's anticipating... The end of every single class, because that's a second or a minute, an hour closer to when he gets to kill Dusander. And he's looking forward to it, waiting for it, wanting the release of having him dead. Um, but yeah, and he's waiting and apparently at the end of every class, or this is like a Friday or before break, or I don't know, end of the week, where they're giving out the grade cards. And, you know, every single, he would explain how every single time a teacher came towards him, he would start to tense up. Every single time they would walk past, well, no, they're giving fail cards, as in, if you get the card, that means you failed. Which is a horribly bad system, because then everyone knows who failed, and that's never good. Um, so the teacher is just, he, he feels tense, stress whenever a teacher comes near him. Uh, an immense feeling of relief when a teacher passes. But then in algebra, he gets a fail card and he freaks out. And at, at some point he just becomes cold. Because of like, he's accepted that, ah, it's over. The game's done. Alright, it's game over now. And he flips it over and then he gets another sigh of relief because the teacher actually didn't fail him he got a good he got a passing grade i don't i don't know if it was like an a I, no i think it was an a 
It was like an A or a high B or something. He would get a good grade, and he said, Good thing I don't have to give this to you for real, am I right? And Todd gets super pissed, and you know, understandably so, because it's like, this the, like, I, this, normally I would chalk it up to Todd's kind of, um, uneasiness, his, his imbalance in everything, and so, but to be fair, if you were worried about failing and the teacher told you you failed only to take it back right after just to freak you out, you'd be a little mad, to be fair. Not that I'm giving any props to Todd or justification to Todd, because everything that this guy does is insane. Um, so he passes, and he goes back to Dusander's place, and then he's like, Hey, Dusander, I passed. Yay! And just kind of like how uh, Dusander felt when the tables turned, where he had the opportunity to take control of Todd, he felt calm, uh, which he hasn't felt in a while, because around Dusander he was frightened and scared, and now he felt like he was back in control, so he had a, a, a calm ease over him, because he knew that I will now kill him today. His plan was to shove him off of, sho shove him down the stairs into like a, his cellar door or something. And he was like wearing fuzzy slippers and you know, it's like, oh, could happen normally, you know, who knows? And you know, they're toying around and stuff like that. Yeah. DeSander says, Oh, you get a break off from studying, good job and stuff. And then at some point DeSander says, You know, let me tell you a story how this boy and met this unlikely old man and they hated each other but then they became friends and while he's saying this uh todd gets up from his chair because dusander's getting close to the cellar door and todd's like oh i'm gonna push him i'm gonna push him and he's gonna die and then dusander just keeps talking about uh the story which is basically recounting what happened with todd and him and then before todd gets to push dusander dusander gets to the climax of the story he's telling that you know, if Todd get um, if this boy passes all of his classes and the threat of everyone finding out due to him failing disappears, then Todd would have no more uh, use for this old man, and nothing would stop Todd from killing this old man. And then Dusander uh, lets it dawn on him, and he basically tells Todd that I have every single thing the entire account of when you knocked on my door and even before then probably with the stocking written down in a manifesto and in a safe deposit box and he has a key and the bank has a key and that if he dies then the only time this box gets to open is when he dies well he can open the box because they, they need both keys, but the box will be opened without his permission on one instance, and that's if he dies. And if he dies, then the bank tellers will find this manifesto, and will see it, and will read it, and then they'll realize, oh, it's kind of messed up, and then it will be out. So he cannot die. Basically, he has leverage over Todd that, to ensure that he doesn't murder him. Which, I mean, he was going to do that, so, you know, good timing. <laughs> Uh, we later find out, though, that he didn't actually do this, which, um, everything seemed believable except for the bank tellers just reading it. I would imagine that when he dies, they would just open it, 
find it. And even if they did read it, I, I doubt they would do anything and they would just like chuck it or something. They would be like, oh, that's interesting. And if it was the entire thing and it's a long manifesto, I'm sure they would probably just read one or two pages and be like, okay, I'm out. I'm just going to throw this out. I find it hard to believe that anything would actually happen if he died and they opened up that box and found it. Um, but yeah, but now, of course, Todd doesn't realize this because he's already freaked out of his mind. And um, Todd uh, now can't kill him and now he's scared of him dying constantly. Dusander also explained to him what he did, basically, that, oh, because you've opened up this kind of Pandora's box where, uh, now you can't do anything to me because I'll do something to you, and I can't do anything to you because you'll do something to me, we're at the stalemate, and now we can't leave each other because what's stopping the other from ruining the other's life? And so now they're intertwined by fate unfortunately um, these two horrible people are now uh, forced to blackmail and manipulate each other so yeah that sounds fun uh, so that happens and there's a scene where uh, Todd runs into a hobo I don't I don't remember if this was pages ago or now but at some point Todd ran into a hobo a um, I forgot what they're called, like a drunkie or something? Todd has some kind of derogatory name for them. And uh, he runs into a hobo, and the hobo's like, You got you got, you got, got a nickel? I need to go to LA, and I got, a, I got a job opportunity, which... Don't know how you got a job opportunity in LA from where you live right now, but okay. And then, um... Todd's like, sitting there, and I think he has, um... A pocket knife? He has a pocket knife that he bought, and he recounts to how the the storefront manager who sold him the pocket knife was admiring it and saying it was the best pocket knife ever. Um, and the hobo said, well, how about a quarter or something? And then it's obvious that Todd is contemplating murdering this hobo, which I'm like, oh, all right, damn, he's got he's got the murder rage. He was already he already was in the mindset he wanted to kill Dusander, and now he's constantly in the mindset he wants to kill somebody because. He didn't get to kill Dusander, and um, the hobo uh, then asks if uh, <laughs> he offers a blowjob, which I'm like, what? <laughs> that was so out of nowhere. Oh, they call he calls them winos. He calls them winos. And I'm like, all right, that happened. And then I believe he uh, Todd threw some money out of his pocket, like a few quarters or nickels or something, and then ran off. And I was like, man, I'm surprised he didn't kill him. And I was surprised that the, the hobo offered that. Like, my god. And I believe shortly after, um, shortly after that incident with Dusander, uh, he encounters the hobo again. He's not sure if they're the same hobo or a different hobo. Um, I think it's a different hobo for a diff for uh, later on in the story. But um, yeah, he just murders that hobo. He just he just kills that hobo. Um, so that happened, and then you know, moves on. 
Todd is just like, oh, I murdered a hobo. Chucks the knife in the river. Hobo dead. We're gonna head home, covered in blood. Parents didn't notice. I don't know how they did. You know, they're... They don't really... They don't really... They, they're not really the most... Well, they are observant, but not enough for them to be like, oh, that's something wrong over there. You know, kids covered in blood. Dad probably said it was ketchup or something, and they just moved on. And so he threw his raincoat in the wash and was like, eh, it's still visible, but who's really gonna notice or care? And I'm like, fair enough. I guess, alright, you know, that's fair. I guess no one would really anticipate you to murder a hobo out of nowhere. And then, you know, stuff happens. I believe Todd is going to, like, Venice or Hawaii or something. He's going on a, fan on a, on a, on a trip. And... Uh, Dusander gets a, um, gets a postcard from him, and he's like, oh, that's great. I, uh, I'm, I, uh, I hope you're doing well, Dusander. Uh, love ya from Todd. That's sweet. And Dusander smiles at the card, and, um, Hobo shows up. <laughs> and the Hobo's like, hey, I'm going to LA to get a job. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is the same Hobo. Unless there's this weird thing with all the, all the homeless people or the Hobos. Where if they're asking for money, they apparently need a money for a bus ride to get a job in LA. I don't know. Um, and Dusander's like, Oh, you need money to get on a bus ride. Is that really what you want? Maybe instead I could offer you uh, a bath at my house, a place to sleep, some food to eat, you know? And the only thing I ask for return is some company. I'm an old man and I'm lonely. And the old then the hobo's like, oh, all right, that sounds like a deal. I'll do that. And then the old man, the hobo seems to insinuate that he wants some kind of sexual favor as well. It seemed like. <laughs> uh, but he says, all right, so you're going to take the bus with me, and don't sit next to me. <laughs> Cause you smell, and then the hobo's like, oh well, how dare? I have my pride. And he's like, maybe I'll give you a quarter. And he's like, oh, well, maybe he'll give me five. And he's like, alright, never mind for pride, I guess. And so they, he follows him, and then he, DeSandra tells him to get off at like, uh, two stops after where he lives. And then, um, to walk back to his house. And then when he finds him, he's gonna go, you're gonna go hang out, have a little powwow, you know. Um, and so it happens, apparently the hobo fell asleep, uh, and then he wakes up and he's like, and he's like, oh god, uh, whatever, I'll just, uh, I'll head back and see if, if it's still the right place, you know, and so he heads back and he sees the old man, and he's like, oh, alright, I'm not too far away, and then, um, he gets a, like, a, a shiver, like, uh, a gut instinct that tells him to turn around and just leave. He should have done that. <laughs> he should have done that. Because uh, I'm positive he's dead. I, I think Dusander even said he's dead. He died in his kitchen or something. And I, I think... there, There's a scene also when... Uh, Todd was going to push Dusander down the cellar door. That when he opened the door, it reeked of horribleness so i'm assuming that's where he keeps all the ashes of the the things he he's burned alive which it's like oh god and so it, i think before the scene actually i don't i don't i think this is before he got the postcard uh 
he also... Uh, Todd killed another hobo. He was just chilling and then found this hobo and just killed him with a hammer. Beat his head in with a hammer and then at some point it turned to the other side of the hammer and just destroyed his face. And I'm like, okay. Okay. And I guess... I, 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 um, the Sander seems like he constantly has this routine where he kills hobos now. Uh, I don't know if Todd also has this routine where he kills hobos, but he seems like he at least killed another one, so... You know, he's not above doing it again, probably. <laughs> uh... Apparently, Dusander and uh, Todd now, you know, they, they meet, and um, oftentimes that they're in silence because they positively hate each other. Because uh, they can't really leave each other at the same time because, you know, they have the dirt on each other. Even though, you know, they don't know that no one really ha is, is, is doing anything in the event of the other's untimely death, so, you know... And apparently, uh, Todd got a girlfriend, and they're on again, off again, but he doesn't really like her, but, you know, they're a family friend or whatever, so... That happened. <laughs> but yeah, basically, they're murderers now. Um, things just kind of ramped up in the second part now, did it? It just kind of... Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, at the, the first parts were just, oh, Todd's kind of unsettling, he's kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I think about this person, you know? And now it's just like, okay, yeah, he's terrible, <laughs> they're, they're both terrible, alright. So that was the end of uh, the second part of Apt Pupil. What a treat. <laughs> Didn't know that, that that was coming up. No, I did not. Anyways, have a good day.